You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Good evening. I'm glad that you joined us with uh, on, a, on this Christmas Eve. Um, anybody know what this is? Anybody help me out? Telescope. Thank you, thank you. I, I saw, um, let me move this microphone. It's like the telescope is going to start talking in just a second. So I saw my Facebook fill, uh, feed filled up with pictures of telescopes the other night. Um, some of you may have had one out looking at the converging planets, uh, Saturn and Jupiter. Some people were calling it the Christmas star. Um, Anybody? Anybody have one of these out the other night? I see one, one hand. Okay. One, one of you had these. I saw a whole bunch of people on Facebook with these, nevertheless. And I, I want you to imagine for just a moment that you had a telescope the other night and that you were ready to look at those stars. So you had gotten, you had gotten this telescope outside and you had set it up and you were ready to see this phenomenon in the night sky. And then all of a sudden, dad doing what he does best comes outside and he sees you with this new telescope. He's never seen it before. And he just stands there as you're getting all ready. And he starts asking these questions. Hey, uh, where'd you get the telescope? How much you pay for it? You, you think that you're in the right spot? You, th- you think it's going to get dirty sitting there? You think we should move it? Hey, um, what, what kind of light do we need best to get the, the best picture? A- at some point, if dad keeps going with those questions, you're going to say to him, dad, dad, please stop. Stop with the questions. Stop asking so many things about the telescope. We've come out here to see something up there. Enjoy that. Look up as we close in. On this season of Advent this evening, we're looking at Mary. She's the last of the five women that are mentioned in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. But Mary, as some faith traditions have taught, isn't the point of this sermon. Mary, you see, she is an incredibly faithful woman. We'll see that in the text. She'll she'll pull from the Old Testament scriptures like she knows them really well. Mary, as many of us know, is willing to endure ridicule as she has the Savior of the earth within her. But Mary isn't the point. Mary is only pointing us to the one who is worthy of our worship. Now, we have, we have no need tonight to ask questions about her life and about her character. Our time this evening would be better spent looking up and enjoying Mary's Savior, your Savior, my Savior. And so we'll see together tonight in the scriptures loud and clear that you are to magnify the Lord with your life. Luke chapter 1, if you have access to a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there with me. But that's where we see a man named Zechariah. He's a man later in, later in his years in life. We don't know exactly how old he is, but Zechariah is a priest, and it was his turn to serve as priest in the temple. And as he was doing so, Zechariah encountered an angel. Now, you have to know this. 
We're not used to seeing angels, but Zechariah had heard about people seeing angels, but they haven't been around for a really long time. And so as he sees this angel in the temple of the Lord, Zechariah is terrified. And so this angel tells Zechariah that he and his wife, Elizabeth, who has been barren up until this point, they have no children of their own. They're going to now have a son and his name is gonna be called John. We'll come to know him as John the Baptist. John will be a very special boy. In fact, he'll make way for the coming Messiah. What news? So Elizabeth, as the angel said, she does in fact conceive a son in her old age, and she is six months pregnant when a young girl around 13 years of age, 80 or so miles away from Zechariah and Elizabeth, is visited by that same angel, Gabriel. And Gabriel shares with this young woman, Mary, that she has found favor with God and that she too will conceive in her womb a young boy. And she will bear a son and his name will be Jesus. He will be called Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And of his kingdom, the scripture says, there will be no end. The angel goes on to tell her that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And so Mary decides, I gotta go visit her. I gotta, I gotta confirm that all of this is happening. happening. Now Mary, again, she is a young virgin. She's not even married to the, the man Joseph that she's been betrothed to. It'll look scandalous that she's carrying with her a child. But Mary doesn't stop to contemplate these things. She doesn't stop to think about all of that. Mary only worships. And that's where I want us to focus in for just a few minutes this evening. So we're gonna read Luke chapter one. We just saw it on the screen. But would you stand with me to honor God's word as we read it. Luke chapter one, verse 46 through 55. This is Mary's song of praise. It's traditionally known as the Magnificat, meaning magnifies in Latin. So Luke chapter one, verse 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we walk through Mary's song tonight, I want you to see three ways in which Mary keeps dialing us in to look up. Look up, enjoy the Savior, magnify the Savior with your life, Mary continues to say. And the first way is that God, my Savior, sees. That this God who sees, he saves. And maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, the God of the Bible, if anything, is unloving. He's, he's looked at all the suffering in this world and he has done what seems to be absolutely nothing. You may in fact look to 2020 as a year and say that is proof that God has done absolutely nothing. But this young woman, 
here at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, she has a much different perspective. You see, the God of the Bible, he isn't only all-seeing, but he's also extremely compassionate. Mary exclaims in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And you're right if you think that we need saving from all of this. You're right if you think that there is plenty of suffering on planet Earth, because there is. You would absolutely be right. We all need saving. Genesis 3, just three chapters into the Bible, tells us exactly why. The Bible gives us a framework to say there is suffering, and this is why there is suffering. The perfect creation is not perfect anymore. Adam and Eve, our first parents, they've disobeyed by chapter three, creator God, the one who made them, the one who was in perfect fellowship with them. And they listened instead of God, instead of listening to God, Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and they partook of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden and everyone from there on has been cursed by Adam and Eve's sin. You and I, as a result, were born into sin. We are born sinners as a result. But just before Adam and Eve are banished from the garden, as God is explaining the consequences of sin, he includes this promise in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, where the most hopeless situation becomes the most hopeful. God says, you see, there in verse 15, that there will be coming one from the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Mary recognizes that that baby in her womb is the promise's fulfillment, and therefore she says, my God has come to save. This is God, my Savior. But there are more things you need to see about him, Mary says. The God who sees looks upon the lowly. This is Mary's chance here in the biblical narrative to say, look at me, Elizabeth. Look at what I've accomplished. That's probably what I would do. Hey, hey, check out what's going on. Check out what God has decided to do through me. I'm carrying the savior of the world. I must have done something better than everyone else. But no, Mary, again, dialing in our focus, not on, our, not on herself, but on the God who sees. She says, God sees me. And that is a remarkable thing. I'm lonely. I'm lowly. As a result, Mary says, I'll do whatever he wants. We see that already when the angel spoke to her just before he left. She said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's incredible that this God would look upon Mary because the God who sees is holy. Now, this is the greatest mystery. Mary recognizes this. God, who is mighty, has done great things for me, she says. He's filled me with joy. He's given me the chance to carry the Savior of the world, and he is the holy God. Holy is his name, she exclaims in verse 49. Her ancestors have gone to great lengths to worship God rightly in the way that he's prescribed. If you're familiar with the Old Testament accounts of worship, People, people would have gone to great lengths to make sure that they were rightly worshiping God. And when they didn't, what happened? They, they died. In fact, there was only one person in all of Israel who was able to go into the presence of God, and that was the high priest, and he was only able to go into the presence of God how many times? A year. Once. 
And he was only able to do that after a long season of preparation, after a long process of cleansing. And now the holy God, the holy God was dwelling within Mary. Holy God has come near sinful man. It's unfathomable. Mary keeps lifting our eyes up. Would you just focus higher? Don't look at me. Fix your eyes on God, my Savior who sees. Mary continues. You see that aspect. How about this one? Second, God, my Savior, is strong. First, God's strength, I want us to see in the text, is shown in judgment. You see, Mary recognizes in verse 51 that it is God who scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It is God in verse 52 that has brought down the mighty from their thrones. It's God who in verse 53 has sent the rich away empty. God deals with righteousness and justice. God never lets sin go. He always properly judges. And yet, Mary has us see that God's strength is also shown in his mercy. Mary sees that God has always shown mercy to those who fear him throughout all of history. It is God who's given the hungry good things. And you and I, we love to see those stories of the one who is deserving punishment be met with grace, don't we? I'll, I'll never forget that moment when the young man who murdered nine individuals in the Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston in, in 2015, when he went to his uh, hearing for his sentence, he was met with, I forgive you. I don't know if any of you remember watching that. And they said it one after another, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Mercy upon mercy. He deserved in that moment their hatred, but was met with mercy and forgiveness. The question is this. If God must deal with sin, if, if sin can't go free, how can there be any mercy? How can there be any ounce of forgiveness in this life? How could you and I ever experience it? Third, God's strength is shown in Jesus. You see, Mary doesn't know how it's all going to work out, but she knows that she has within her the Son of God. That's clear. Emmanuel, God with us who is going to save his people from their sins. Her son is going to soon, he will live, in fact, a perfect life, and his life is going to end in the most brutal way possible in that day and time. His life is gonna end on the cross, and the cross, Mary will soon see, is where both judgment and mercy meet. You see, on the cross, we see that this little baby who grew in wisdom and stature, who was both 100% man and 100% and God, would serve the just sentence for sinners like you and me. It's on the cross where we see Jesus take on the wrath of God, taking on the sin debt of every single person who would believe. Now, all of that, though, it looks like judgment, doesn't it? It looks only like judgment. Jesus Christ has taken all of God's wrath upon himself for sinners. Where's the mercy? Where's the mercy? The mercy is that the man Jesus Christ, before God on the cross, said, I will serve the sentence that is due sinners. 
I will serve his sentence, and I will serve her sentence, and I will serve their sentences. He who knew no sin became sin so that they might become the righteousness of God. Mercy? It's that you and I, who deserved eternal death, could go free. God, my Savior, he sees. God, my Savior, is strong, Mary says. You've got to keep looking up. And finally, God, my Savior, has spoken. God has spoken to our fathers. Remember, there was sin in the garden. Adam and Eve are banished, but not before God promises a redeemer to come in Genesis chapter 3. Fast forward several chapters in Genesis, and we see a man named Abraham come on the scene. The world at that point isn't any better, but God still says that he's going to establish a covenant with him, that through him all the people of the earth will be blessed. And then there's this man later on in Abraham's line named David, King David, who arrives on the scene, and he's in this same line, and God makes a covenant with David. Your house is going to be blessed forever. The promise is going to be fulfilled. I'm going to send a redeemer. Don't you forget. But at some point, God goes silent in redemptive history. And then there's nothing. There's no miracles. There's no signs, no prophecies, no prophets, no judges, no word from the Lord, nothing. And it's silent for 400 years. 400 years is much longer than the United States of America has been in existence. The people must have been thinking, where is God? Has he, has he left us? Has he abandoned us? Has he forgotten us? And Mary remembers that God has spoken, verse 55, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. But now Mary, in her song of praise, as she continues to look up, is beginning to see that God has also spoken in his son that in God's remembrance of his mercy, he has spoken through Jesus. Hebrews chapter one tells us this. God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He has come to fulfill finally what he said he would. He isn't leaving us. He is rescuing us. He's using me, Mary said. Soon enough, Jesus would be born. Luke chapter two, if we follow it further, tells us that Jesus would be born of humble means. He would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and he would be placed to, to lie in a manger for there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus had finally come. Jesus, the God who sees, the God who is strong, the God who has spoken. And Mary has all of this to say. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, there are two ways that we can magnify something. There's, there's a microscope where you have something that's really small and you look at it through a microscope and it becomes really big. Or you could have something like a telescope where you could fix in on an object that is already enormous. It's gigantic, it's vast, and it only appears to be small because of the distance that you and I are from it. And the telescope, the beauty of it is, is that it allows us to see something as it really is. Mary isn't dialing in a microscope on God, but rather a telescope. 
You and I both know that the the natural human heart, Mary knows her natural human heart, our hearts really are good at making God look small, aren't we? we? We often know how all too well to make so much of ourselves. If God is too big, we think. Perhaps he'll require too much of me. Perhaps he'll demand too much of my time. Perhaps he'll need too much of me. Perhaps he'll, he'll want to use my money in the way that I don't want to use it. Perhaps God will want to use my time in a way that I don't want to use it. Perhaps God will have me do something that I don't want to do with my life if God is too big. And I won't be able to get the pleasure and joy that I want from this life. But Mary knows. Mary knows that the only way to lasting joy in this life is to see God how he really is. To see God as he really is. Friend, as you celebrate the birth of our Savior tomorrow, remember to magnify the Lord with your life. As you return to work on Monday, remember, magnify the Lord with your life. As you eat, As you play the rest of this weekend, as you get presents tomorrow, remember, magnify the Lord with your life. You see, you haven't been created for your purposes, but for God's purposes. You're to magnify him with your life. Don't miss the point, because in seeing God as he really is, you know what happens to us? We see us for who we really are, small sinful human beings that are absolutely in need of a savior. And we, as those who have placed our faith in Christ Jesus, are to be those that magnify the Lord with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this evening, this Christmas Eve, to magnify you, to magnify your son, Christ Jesus, to lift high your name. God, I pray that you would help us to see us as we really are, in need, desperately in need of a savior. God, I thank you that you have given us a moment tonight to look to your word, to see Christ Jesus come in the form of a baby, to live a perfect life, to die at the hands of angry men, to bear the wrath that we deserved to bear, taking our sentence and giving us life instead. God, I pray by your spirit that you would help us to see you have created us to magnify you with our lives.